Well, we are clearly in the middle of summer. If you can't get that from the heat, uh, you can get that from the the tremendous amount of sunlight that has been beaming in the last couple of of days. Uh, And as I was reflecting on uh, the different ways in which uh, the, the light is so bright, I I have had kind of a long history with sunglasses. Uh, Some of them have have lasted a long time and some of them not so long. But when I was in high school, one of the things that was all the rage were these uh, sunglasses called Oakley sunglasses. And and if you were anybody, you you had a pair of these. And clearly I wasn't uh, anyone, so I I didn't have a pair, but I really wanted one. Um, But I looked at it and I always had an issue because I would either lose sunglasses or I would break them. Um, and, and maybe a combination of the both. Uh, and so as I looked at a pair of sunglasses that was well over $100, I thought to myself, there's no way that I could ever afford something like that. Um, and much to my surprise, uh, in a, a missions trip uh, to Mexico, uh, they had Oakley sunglasses across the border for far, far cheaper. Uh, and I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is a really good deal. Um, and even on top of that, you could look at the sticker price and you could even talk down the, the market there, the, the different people in it, even lower. And I remember us, uh, me and some of the friends, as we, we kind of haggled these prices down and, and we were uh, super excited to come home uh, with these Oakley sunglasses. Uh, and as I, as I wore these around, I was, I was very excited that I was someone. Um, but as I, as I adventured through, through life, uh, there was one uh, particular afternoon that I remember jumping off kind of an elevator elevated platform. And as I, as I prepared to hit the ground, uh, I, I, I anticipated the ground. I saw it coming. Uh, and then as I, I went to land, uh, for some reason, the ground wasn't there yet. And, I, and then, then all of a sudden it was. And I, I kind of like crumpled up on the ground and was like, whoa, what just happened? Uh, and as I started to investigate kind of like, well, what, what was the, 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 the cause of this accident? I started to look at these, uh, these sunglasses, and I realized, you know, there, there might be something wrong with these. Uh, in fact, uh, as I started to look, it, it messed with my depth perception. Uh, clearly, these were not official Oakley sunglasses. They, they were aptly named uh, Folkley's after that. But uh, there, was, there was this idea of, you know, this distorted view of, of what's going on. And as we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Battle Before Us, uh, tonight we're going to be looking at... Uh, the idea of greed. And I think uh, for believers, it acts oftentimes like those sunglasses did for me, is, 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 it, is it oftentimes you put them on and you, you don't really understand uh, what's going on. You don't understand uh, the distorting nature of uh, these glasses, but greed is very similar uh, to that. And so um, tonight, uh, what I think would be helpful for us to start off with is for us to have kind of a common understanding or definition of what greed is. And uh, if you look through uh, many different dictionaries, you'll see there's various uh, different uh, definitions for it, but they all kind of follow the same kind of ideal. Um, but the, the definition that I think that I'll put before you tonight is that greed is the intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Again, let me give that to you. Greed is the intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. And so with that in mind, let me go before the Lord and ask Him to bless the preaching of His Word. Our Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for the ways in which you have given us your word. I pray that you would use me as an instrument to proclaim the good news of the gospel, but Lord, also that you would send your spirits to convict where it needs to be convicted. Lord, that you would disrupt us, that you would make us be able to focus upon you more, and Lord, that you would be glorified in all uh, that I say. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, uh, for us to be able to escape uh, the grip of greed, what we are going to be using is a passage in Mark. Uh, We're going to be looking at probably a familiar passage for many of us. Uh, It's found in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 31. And what we'll be doing is we're going to split it into two different parts. Uh, We'll look at uh, the first part, and then we'll move to the second. And then as we finish up the second part, there'll be some application uh, that I'll I'll mix in with it. Uh, So, Uh, If you would like, uh, children, you can turn to page uh, 794 in your pew Bible, and uh, we'll start in Mark chapter 10 uh, with verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This ends the reading of God's word. As we are first introduced to this passage, we are, we are met with an individual, a man. And in many of us, we would say this is the rich young ruler. And if we look at uh, the title, it might say something about the, the rich man or rich ruler. But if we look at the text, we can say, okay, uh, how exactly did we get to rich young ruler? This passage doesn't talk about him being young. It doesn't talk about him being a ruler either. And interestingly enough, this passage is, has parallel passages that help fill in those gaps to give us a better idea of who this man was and a little bit more about him. Uh, we know uh, in this passage and the others that this man had a great amount of wealth. So we start with rich. He was a rich man. Uh, we also know from Matthew chapter 19 that he was young. Uh, we can even go further in Luke chapter 18 uh, where he is identified as a ruler. And so we are introduced to uh, the rich young ruler. And uh, in, in our day and age, we might look at this and say, okay, uh, this, this was a rich young ruler. But in, in the context that, that we're reading this, there's a little bit more that is brought into the identity of someone who is a rich young ruler, uh, particularly being as, as people looked in the Jewish society of that day and age of somebody with wealth, they looked at them with kind of an admiration because in some way they were, they were doing things better. In some way they were serving the Lord in a way in which God was blessing them not just uh, with the ordinary things, but with, with, with more wealth. And so uh, in, in that day and age, there was, it was almost attuned to uh, the prosperity gospel in our day and age. If, if you were poor and you uh, didn't have a whole lot of wealth, it's because maybe you were doing something wrong. You were not serving the Lord like you uh, should. And so there's, there's this kind of uh, understanding that many would have with this, uh, with this man as he came up. But also
also, when we throw in the ruler part, uh, there's an understanding that this man uh, was probably a ruler at the local synagogue. And so he had been steeped in education. He knew uh, the different commandments. He knew the Old Testament. He, he knew uh, uh, lots of things because of his wealth. He would have been well-educated. And so there's a certain status that this man has as he's walking around and as he enters into different places. Uh, and so as, as we have that context of the, of the man, we also see that his behavior maybe is, is different than one would assume. Uh, when we're first introduced to him, if you look at uh, the verse 17, uh, we're, we're told that Jesus is on a journey and this man comes running up. Uh, and so that's not necessarily something that we would often see out of somebody with wealth or as a ruler, uh, but for some reason he's, he's coming running and he's looking for Jesus. Uh, and then even more interesting after that is, is what, is the, what is the reaction of this man when he finds Jesus? Is he, he drops to his knees. He kneels before Jesus. And even more telling in this is what he calls Jesus, is he uses the word good before teacher. And for us, as we read that, we see a little bit of dialogue where Jesus is, is questioning him on why he used that. But in, in the day and age in which they were living in, in, in the, the, the context in which he's saying this, no one else ever called a teacher good. That good was reserved for talking about God. And so there is some kind of tip of the hat here. There's some kind of acknowledgement that's happening where this man is coming with some kind of urgency to Jesus, and he's acknowledging something different than a lot of other people that have been coming to Jesus asking him questions. And so we see that this man has a genuine question that he wants to know, and he also is hopeful for an answer. Uh, and, and so as we, we look at this, we see, you know, what, what is the question that he's asking? Uh, it's, it's one that anybody who is religious wants to know is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so uh, he, he's, he's wrestling with this. For some reason, he's wrestling with it so much that he wants to come and find an answer here and now, and he, and he knows that for some reason Jesus can possibly give that to him. And he also is looking at it saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful to be able to get the answer that I'm looking for. And so as he's wrestling with these things, in our minds, particularly with his answer to this long list of commands that are given out here, uh, we might be quick to think, you know, this, this guy is like a Pharisee. He's, he's a hypocrite. For some reason, he, he can't see all these things going on. But there's, there's a little bit more to the story that might be confusing to us is uh, in that day and age, this man has probably lived a life of, of pursuit of holiness from a young age, and he's looked at so many of these things and thought to himself, you know what, I, I might actually be able to do these things. Now, clearly, he's not looking at his heart, but he's, he's not uh, disobeyed many of these different rules, and uh, Jesus somehow, uh, for some reason, leaves out uh, the first four commandments, but he's, he's all of a sudden here thinking about these things and, and, and tracking through them, and for many of us would say, okay, you know, clearly this, this guy is, is kind of off the rocker, but it's interesting how Jesus never misses an opportunity to point out to a Pharisee when they're being a hypocrite. 
But for some reason, we see something unique happen in this story in Jesus' response. And it's recorded there, and it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so there's, there's something that should cue, uh, to clue us in, that there's something going on differently here, that, that Jesus is using this as an opportunity for someone that's coming genuinely to ask this question instead of uh, hypocritically to, to not question Jesus, but he wants a real answer. And so Jesus loving him does exactly that. And his question uh, is, is, is answered in kind of three different parts. Uh, the first thing that Jesus does is he identifies this man's weakness. He identifies in, the, in this man's life something that he's holding on to far greater than he's, uh, than he's holding on to the Lord, and that's his wealth. He calls it out and says, you know what, I, I'm going to point out this to you, that if you sell your wealth and you give it to the poor, don't just rearrange it, but actually get rid of it and give it to the poor, um, you'll, you'll see something that happens. And quickly this man identifies that he's, he's holding on to this. And so Jesus doesn't just stop there. Uh, he knows that there's this grip of greed in this man's life, uh, his, his unwillingness to let go of it. And, and Jesus calls him to, to let go of it, to open his hands, to, to not grab hold of the things of this world that will fail. And then he comes back around and gives him motivation for it and says, you know, if you let go of these things, you will receive the kingdom uh, that of, of heaven. You will receive eternal life. Here's the answer to your question. And we're left a little bit uh, on, a, on a cliffhanger with this. There's no sequel movie that comes multiple years later that gives us the answer of what happens. But in fact, we're just left with, uh, but we... Um, we're left with this explanation that he was disheartened and he left. And so that's, that's the first part that gives us kind of an understanding. It's a part of this uh, that we're very familiar for, with is the rich young rulers part. But we're going to spend a little more time as we focus in on Jesus as he's teaching the disciples. And so if we look at Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 31, let me read it for us now. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to them, And they... And said to them, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This ends the reading of God's word. Well, as we look at this passage, uh, if, we, if we quickly read over it, I think one of our first responses is Jesus is trying to do kind of a, a decompression or kind of pass over and explain to him what he was teaching 
um, this, this, this rich young ruler. And if we dig a little bit deeper, I think that we can see that there's something far greater going on. And, and the, the key to, to start to understand, hey, maybe we should pay attention to this, is any time in Scripture we're presented with something that repeats, it should cause us to, to start to question, why on earth in Scripture did, did this repeat? And so, in this passage, we're, we're not only able to see it repeat, but we also see Jesus goes in and he clarifies even more what he's trying to teach in that second uh, repeating of this. And so, if we look uh, at the, the first one, we see uh, him, him telling the disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, in there, we also have their recorded response, that they're amazed and so we could ask to ourselves, you know, what, what is Jesus trying to teach? Why, why are the disciples amazed? And I think one of the, the things that we could quickly gather in this is with the, the cultural context, with what we knew about this uh, rich young ruler, um, Jesus is teaching them something than what society has been teaching them. If, if you have, are doing everything right, if you've served the Lord in all these amazing ways, what you'll get is you'll get this wealth. And Jesus is all of a sudden turning that upside down and saying, you know, that's not necessarily the way it works. If you, if you actually are, are serving the Lord, those things uh, might not happen. In fact, you might end up losing a lot of things, and you might even be persecuted. That's what he goes on to say. And, and so as they are first seeing this, there's, there's an amazement because it's something that they haven't really wrestled with or addressed in their life. But then then's when the, the, the repeat comes. And this one, I think, cuts even deeper into uh, the, the idea that the disciples had been wa- walking with. Let me read it for us again. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so there, there's a lot that seems to be going on here, but the, the response is particularly interesting. It says that they're exceedingly astonished. And so why on earth, uh, we would ask, why on earth is Mark recording their response? He recorded the first one, but he also recorded the second one. And for some reason, they're exceedingly astonished. And so there's, there's a question that we asked ourselves, have to ask ourselves, uh, can, we, can we maybe discern what's going on here? And as we start to look at it, um, as, as, I, as I reflected upon it, uh, there's a particular word that comes out uh, and, and that statement that should maybe ask, we should ask another question. And it's at the beginning. How many times as we have heard Jesus address the disciples, does he call them children? And so there's all of a sudden this, this weird kind of, what, what's going on? Why did Jesus choose the word children here to describe his disciples? And, uh, you know, if we, if we, could, we could come up with all kinds of, of ideas, but I think the best explanation is for us to kind of expand out and to look at the context of the Scripture. And if you look at the, at the, the, the section right above this, uh, there's another very familiar passage that we are probably used to, to hearing. It's about letting the little children come. And so all of a sudden, there's this, this conversation that's been going on, and Jesus has been talking about children. Let me read uh, that passage for us now so we're all familiar. And they were bringing children, that is, uh, the different uh, other individuals besides the disciples, bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, 
Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the king who does not ever receive the kingdom of God is like a child is like a child shall not enter it. And so all of a sudden there's there's this language about children being used, and Jesus is using this to address the disciples. And I think that there is a particular way in which Jesus is doing that is because he is calling them out for their own sin. Instead of him leaving this and it just being about the rich young ruler, Jesus is all of a sudden bringing it home the second time. He's bringing it into their lives and allowing them to all of a sudden start to realize, oh, wait, maybe this greed thing isn't just for this guy, but maybe it's possible that I, I have this to wrestle with too. And so as, as we look at that, um, we, we might think, you know, that's, that might be a little bit of a stretch. But again, if we start to look at the context and you go down a little bit, Jesus explains right after this that he's going to die, I think, for the third time. He's been explaining to the disciples. But then we see a very interesting conversation uh, that the disciples are trying to have with Jesus. Uh, And it's one that many might uh, look at and say, I bet they regretted that that's been recorded in Scripture for eternity, uh, is, is that James and John are asking Jesus if they can sit on the left and the right hand of him when he reaches the throne. And so all of a sudden there's, there's, there's this idea of, oh, wait a second, why, why in the middle of this discussion are, are they bringing up this that, that they want? And so even on top of that, even more, the disciples' response to hearing that is they're indignant. They, they're confused about what's going on. And then even greater context, we should be aware that Jesus, when he's addressing these children, he's talking to all 12 of them. And what do we know about one of the 12 disciples? What does he do on the night in which Jesus is betrayed? He's the one that leaves and he goes and he sells Jesus for pieces of silver. All of a sudden, this greed has taken root and it became something that this man was pursuing. And so as we, as we start to wrestle with this, we start to understand what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to open the eyes of the disciples so that they can see that they're not exempt from this greed. They're, they're all of a sudden understanding that, hey, they've given up things, but they're also wrestling against the, the same ideas that we do, this, this desire for money, for wealth, for power, for some kind of status these men wanted it. That was part of what was fueling their reasons for why they were serving Jesus, and they couldn't see it. It was, it was something that had slowly crept, in, crept into their lives and allowed them to have a distorted view of what Jesus' was purpose was doing there. And so in our own lives, I think we can apply this and say, you know, as we look at what the disciples were wrestling with, we need to investigate our own lives. We need to use the means of grace that the Lord has given to us to start to to evaluate what's going on and say, okay, what are the things that we love more than the Lord? Are we in relationship with others that can point out, hey, I think that you might be loving these individuals or these things more than the Lord? And so in that, there's there's an idea that we need to have those those things and those sins identified. But that's not where Jesus leaves it. Uh, we also see that Jesus... Um, uh, is, is confronted with another question from the disciples after their sins have been revealed, is that um, they are, he, he's asked by them, then who can be saved? 
which is a legitimate question because Peter's response after that uh, explains what he's thinking. He's thinking, hey, Jesus, you know, you just told this rich young ruler to inherit eternal life. He needs to sell and give everything and follow you. Well, we're doing that. We've done these things. And Jesus is saying, no, look, there, there are things in your life that you're grabbing hold of, that you're holding on to, and you're unwilling to let go of. And what you need is you need the Lord to come in and not only reveal those things, but also give you the power to be able to release those things. And so with that, there is the, the beautiful picture of the gospel that lets us in and lets us begin to recognize that Jesus is showing how the Lord is going to work in these men's lives, of how they're able to all of a sudden let go of the kingdom of this world and start to grab hold of the kingdom that Jesus is going to usher in. He's bringing out these wonderful things, and because it's only possible through the working of God. Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And so, again, there's this flipping, this under, uh, of, the, of the kingdom, of the, the upside-down kingdom, and people are starting to, to recognize, okay, uh, how, how does this work? And in, it, in our own lives, uh, we need to be able to recognize that, that oftentimes greed creeps in, and we're all of a sudden confronted with it, and oftentimes we want to, to try and push it to the side and say, you know what, this really isn't affecting me. But Jesus has taught over and over again that we cannot serve two masters, we can only serve one. And so we have to not only see it identified, but we have to leave it. We have to let go of it and release it and be able to move past it. And the Lord is the one that does that amazing work for us. And then uh, the beautiful thing uh, that, that the Lord does at the end is oftentimes uh, when you hear uh, this passage preached or you hear people talking about it, uh, one of the ways which many individuals are left is they're left covered with all types of guilt. There's all types of, of conviction because they start to recognize, they start to see the ways in which they've grabbed hold of things of this world, and they start to recognize them, and they start to think, you know, this, this is really hard. Uh, this is a really difficult thing, and Jesus is preparing them for that and saying, hey, you know, this is going to be difficult. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face all these these other difficulties and these things that you're going to have to leave behind, but I want to let you know that it's worth it. I want you to know that what I'm giving you far outweighs anything that is available here in this world. Everything else is going to fail. Everything else is going to to be destroyed, but what my kingdom is offering, what he's bringing and what he's ushering in is something that's eternal. And so that's the great reminder of the gospel where we can be reminded over and over again of here is how Jesus saves us. He, he allows us to be able to identify our sin. He allows us to be able to repent of that sin and to confess it and to turn to him. And because Jesus is the perfect son of God, his works uh, are able to, to wash away all of our sin, all of our greed, and then on top of that, his perfect works are applied to us so that the Father now sees us. And then as a response to that, all of a sudden we're able to see things more clearly, we're able to let go of the world, and we're able to all of a sudden grab hold of the wonderful riches which God is pouring out upon us over and over again. And so that is how we are to be encouraged day in and day out with escaping the grip of greed. If you would pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much uh, for your teaching. We thank you for the ways in which you have loved us far more than we can ever understand. Lord, the ways in which you have loved your church, the way in which you have laid down your life. So, Lord, we pray that as we are confronted with the things that we have selfish desires for, these intense, uh, strong desires, Lord, that you would allow us to be able to see them, that you would allow us to be able to leave them, and that we would instead be able to to cling hold of the cross and the ways in which you have saved us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we pursue you this week. Lord, pray that you would be with us as we move to your table here. In your awesome name we pray. Amen.